Devils are raking in the ratings and are living up to the hype. The NHL faces the music and its knowledge of concussions in a five-part series on TSN. And is Phil Kessel on his way out of Pittsburgh? And how will this affect the NHL if it happens? Episode 128 starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. And uh, we'll be talking about the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, right now, Washington is up 2-1 to one in the series. Game 4 happens on Monday, which by the time uh, you probably hear this will be tonight. Uh, if you listen to it on Tuesday, you'll know how Game 4 ended. But uh, we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. Before we get into all of that, we are going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame. As we do every week, Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am ready, yes. All right, we're at question 17, and it is as follows. Which Hall member famously threatened to retire during the 1960s rather than report to his traded team and then avoided a league sanctions by signing with another club, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Hmm. So that was a lot to process. Do you want me to read it again? No, I think I got it. Okay, so here are your options. A, Terry Sawchuk of the Red Wings. B, Andy Bathgate of the New York Rangers. C, Red Kelly of the Detroit Red Wings. Or D, Al Arbor of the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, well, I have no clue who any of these players are. <laughs> Before both of our times, yeah, yeah. that's a given. Um, I don't know. I'll just say Al Arbor. Al Arbor, the Blackhawks, that was D. Uh, the correct answer was C, Red Kelly of the Red Wings. Oh, okay. I would not have gotten that. <laughs> Which is perfectly fitting because Red Wings and Red Kelly make total right. sense. But didn't it say that he ended up going to the Toronto Maple Leafs or... Uh, was well, that the team he got traded to? He threatened to retire during the 60s rather than report to his traded team. The Maple but Leafs. But then avoided league sanctions by signing with another club, and that turned out to be the Leafs. Huh. I wonder who that traded team... I guess team... it doesn't specify what that league club was in that question. Yeah, I was about to ask, like, what was that team that he refused to play for? Um, mm-hmm. I, I do uh, know that Terry Sawjack had quite the interesting character, so when I first read the question, I'm thinking... You know what? It wouldn't be surprising if the correct answer was Terry Sawchuk, but it was yeah, Terry, so. yeah. I don't know. I was I was just listening to the last name you had, so I yeah. guess that one. Um, yeah. Also, apparently Al Arbor played for the Blackhawks. I did not know that until today. Anyways, <laughs> uh, on to our episode, yeah. and uh, well, the Stanley Cup Finals, as Brett will tell you, have not disappointed so yeah. far, have they? Well, as so yeah, so as Steve has mentioned uh, before. Um, that so we're recording this on a Sunday afternoon, um, and if you're so if you're listening to this on Monday, that's great. Um, kudos to you. Um, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, uh, it's surely going to change. Um, but at the moment, it is two one Washington, um, which is kind of cool. It's uh, the Capitals are two wins away from. Um, from the Stanley Cup victory and getting that uh, cup to them um, in their home crowd. Um, 
so uh, we're just going to do some thoughts so far, although I do want to touch on some main points. I think the first two games were pretty exciting, actually. Um, and, um, like, you know, the first game especially, I had a, it was like a 6-5 uh, game. Um, and, you know, just a lot of scoring. It's something that I didn't really expect, c- considering that both Flurry and Holtby were both... Um, you know, doing so well beforehand in the last round, but yeah, you would think it would start off with a goaltender's duel. Yeah, it was the exact opposite. But I guess it, there is something to being, um, to being like, uh, you know, just both teams were well rested and they may have just been rusty and getting used to things or something. So there may be something to that effect where. Um, you know, they were like both Holtby and, and Flurry were just getting used to think, uh, uh, things again. Um, I don't know if that makes sense per se, but, um, yeah, so, so the first game was interesting. Uh, there were, uh, two big things that I do want to talk about though in that game for game one per se, uh, was, uh, so it was in the second period uh, Tom Wilson, um, or March or so was, uh, had a pass, um, I forget who it was too, but he was, he was looking, clearly looking at the puck for a little bit too long, and Tom Wilson comes in the way and hits, uh, Jonathan Marchessault, um, um, on the side. It wasn't a headshot, but it was pretty dirty because it was just a late, a late hit. Yeah. Um, what's more surprising about this is people thought like, oh, he might be suspended. Uh, Tom Wilson would probably be suspended. Um, but it turns out he wasn't suspended and that kind of caused some... Didn't even receive a hearing. Yeah, didn't even receive a hearing. I don't know. I, I felt like it was a little iffy of a hit. It was definitely dirty. Um, yeah. you know, cause it's, you know, but at the same time, I feel like Marchessault could have been more aware of his surroundings, maybe, um, and, um, you know, it wasn't like a head injury, it wasn't like yeah. Marcus Sol was injured or anything, so... And when Wilson got suspended yeah. for his hit on, um, I think, was it Dumoulin that he hit? Or, no, it was Aston Reese. Yeah, that's he right. his jaw, and there was significant head contact made, but there wasn't head contact here, and that's largely, I think, why he was suspended for that play. Yeah. He wasn't suspended here, because... March or so was fine, and there was no head contact. Yeah, I think it is an. I don't know. It was like there wasn't a head contact. I'm not saying but, it's clean. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not saying that at all. But right. Is it suspendable? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I think, but I think it was definitely a dirty hit because it's like you know, it's not like Jonathan Marchessault was expecting that to happen, and he didn't even yeah. have the puck at the time, so. That so it's like it's like one of those things. It's like if you ignore the fact that he, you know Jonathan Marchessault didn't have a didn't uh, have the puck, then it's a clean hit, and you're like, but he didn't have the puck. You know, you yeah, can't really exactly. ignore that. So like maybe so, by the NHL, I'm just talking about from the NHL standpoint of what they would consider as a oh, yeah, yeah. offense. If it was me as the commissioner, I would probably take offense to that and give him. You know, one game at least. But. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. But um, yeah, and, and Tom Wilson also scored a goal that game too, which is kind of funny. But um, 
But I did say in our preview that Tom Wilson was going to stir some yeah, stuff. So. you said he was going to make an impact and one he way did. or another, regardless if his team won or lost. And he did in the first uh, game. Um, yeah. And then also what happened uh, was it was kind of a back-and-forth game one, um, but there was also a call on um, the Vegas Golden Knights big enforcer, uh, Ryan Reeves, where he uh, he uh, he pushed he cross checked John Carlson right in front of the net, um, and then it, like almost immediately twenty seconds later, um, or not twenty seconds, but maybe like no, ten seconds. More like a second or two yeah, later. Second or two later, scored, yeah. he scores. Um, and I found that ridiculous. That I I'm, I'm more surprised that more people were talking about the Tom Wilson hit than uh, this because that like could change the whole impact of the game. Um, you know, that was like their game tying goal at the point, at that point. So I was yeah. thinking like, oh, without that aspect of things, then I feel like, um, um, you know, Vegas may not have won actually. I mean, it sure it was like kind of a big, um, let's see here. That goal was, would have tied the, that, t- that tied the game four, four, um, but, like, the fact that you have, you know, it, uh, he cross-checked it. John Carlson probably could have done something. You know, like, who knows what would have happened. It happened early on in the third period. So um, there is some something that, like, you know, maybe the Golden Knights could have, you know, caught on and tied the game or something. But, um but that definitely did affect the game, um, and I'm I'm just surprised that no one else is really talking about it. It seems like Caps fans were complaining about it, but um, Mike Milbury I think was also talking, which is kind of funny because it's Mike Milbury. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's just a ridiculous kind of call there because it's like it was right in front of the play. It was definitely affected. I know it's not like goalie interference, but it was definitely something that yeah. uh, should have been called. And, and I remember, I remember you uh, sending you uh, the highlights for Game Two, and I yep. remember in that highlight pack, Alex took, I think it was, on the Vegas Golden yep. Knights in Game Two, did a similar thing, and he got called for it. And I'm not sure if it resulted in a goal, but it's it did, yeah. like a carbon copy of that, and he gets penalized. Yeah, it so did. It's, just the, it's the inconsistency that I can't comprehend. Yeah, I guess there is that. Maybe it was just one of those things that the refs realized that they messed yeah, up. Yeah, the and refs realized, okay, we screwed up here. We made the wrong Yeah, call. but then at the same time, like, they're affecting the other team. So it's like, maybe it just evens out or something. But, um, yeah, I guess it kind of evened out in that sense, fortunately. But, but if, yeah, if this yeah. happened in Game 7, like, there would be an absolute outcry, right? Right, this right. This was a pivotal in Game 7. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, according to... I'm looking at the box scores for Game 2. Yeah, so Alex Tuck's cross-check came in in the second period, um, five minutes in, and Alex Ovechkin scored, like, 20 seconds later. So, yeah. on a power play. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so speaking of Game 2, um, that was the, the Caps get their revenge, so to speak. Um, we have... Um, it was it was pretty exciting too, um, as you mentioned before. Alex Tuck was uh, had was caught cross checking um, in a similar type of play. 
um, as uh, Ryan Reeves did um, in the game one. Um, so there was that aspect of things. Um, and, uh, and, but anyways, it was kind of a close game throughout, um, and pretty exciting, although the third period was pretty dull. Uh, just full disclosure, I only saw the highlights to this game. Um, I did watch the third period, but that was the least exciting period. Um, but it did seem like James Neal was kind of like, uh, being, uh, it reminded me of what he was like in the Penguins days when he was a penguin, um, where he was kind of just being a pest and, um, just not, um, but also like scoring goals and, um, yeah, just being all over the ice. Like the yeah. goalie they scored, he really picked the corner. Like the goalie couldn't stop it. it no chance. Like, yeah, that was a beautiful goal. Sure. Side, that was yeah, that was a beautiful goal for sure. Um, and then, um, Alex Ovechkin gets his first goal of the Stanley cup finals. Um, and um, Brooks Orpik, who uh, hasn't even scored in the regular season, um, he got a goal, um, which was kind of, um, he got the game-winning goal, um, which was kind um, of crazy. Yeah, it was the eventual game winner, and as a matter of fact, yeah. that was his first goal since February of 2016. Right, yeah. Well, that's over two years. Yeah, it was, it was the game, uh, the eventual game-winning goal, but yeah. at the time it would have made it 3-1, but yeah. Yeah, it did make it 3 um, And then Shea Theodore scores uh, to close it in. but And then um, and then we'll go to game three quickly. Oh, and the other thing, Kuznetsov had his like arm um, hit. Um, it was kind of like a weird hit where... Um, I forget who it was, but the guy was like Marchus, uh, I don't know if it was Marchuso, but Marchuso reacted and he said at least he had the puck. Oh yeah, yeah, I did see that. That was funny. Tells you what he thought of uh, the Tom Wilson hit. And then there's also like after the Tom Wilson hit, um, you know, after game one, uh, Marchuso was asked about the hit and he said, "I'm sure yeah, the league we'll will take, the league care, take of care of it." Yeah. And the league did not take care of it. Uh, yeah. In <laughs> fact, Tom Wilson uh, claimed that uh, Marchuso said to him, "Good hit," and then. Yeah, yeah, away. yeah. So, he he did say that he was fine with the hit, but like he felt like the league was going to take care of it, but they did not take care of it. So yeah. uh, that that was a little interesting. I, I, that, that was just in game two. I guess that was his yeah. parting shot back. He's just yeah. like, oh, I, I had the I had the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, game three wasn't as exciting as the uh, the first two games, but that's okay. Um, the, uh, uh, speaking of Kuznet, uh, well, first off, there was a, uh, clear, uh, goalie interference from Devontae Smith-Pelly in the first period. It looked like the Capitals were going to go ahead, um, in the first period, but Devontae Smith-Pelly did, um, hit, uh, Fleury in the head. It was pretty clear as day. There was, it didn't even seem like there was that many complaints about it, um, but then um, Ovechkin has his second goal of the Stanley Cup Finals, which was a beautiful goal. It was just a bunch of different deflections because the Capitals had like shot like um, two they, they others had a large before. Sequence of shots, they yeah. were buzzing everywhere. Exactly, and it was um, it, it didn't seem like the Golden Knights had anything uh, to really stop them with. Um, yeah. And Ovechkin scores there. And then speaking of Kuznetsov. Uh, he gets a goal, so it looks like he um, not only was playing 
um, but he was effective. Uh, that was what my main worry was, was when I saw that he was playing in the in Game 3, I was like, oh, okay, so he's playing, but I don't know if he's actually, if he's just playing hurt. You know how much I love when guys play injured, or um, if he's, you know, if he's going to be effective or not. And it turns out that he, he had an assist, he had a goal, so um, it seems like he's he's doing pretty well without, uh, if he is injured. Um, and then, um, yeah, that was about it in terms of, uh, this game. Um, Thomas Nozick scores again in the third period. Uh, he had two in the first game. I didn't really mention that. Um, and Devontae Smith probably eventually gets his goal. Um, um, but it was 3-1 at that point. So it wasn't as exciting. I find it interesting because I remember I was talking about in our preview, I'll let you go with your thoughts in a second, but um, I remember in our preview I was talking about how, like, the Golden Knights need to, you know, really need to fix their defense. If if they're going to win, that's the key to these games. And, um, you know, they have to control all the attacks that they had. And I felt like this game especially, um, game three, was when all their, like, you know, they weren't as good as defensive as they have been in the past. So I feel like Theodore in particular was the scapegoat for that. Yeah, exactly. And I feel, yeah, I feel like if they need, you know, they need to um, figure that out. And I think that's going to be a big key in the upcoming games um, is if they, um, you know, if, it, I'll see. We'll see how the uh, the defense for the Golden Knights can um, come back from all this stuff. Um, so yeah, do you have any other thoughts in this uh, in this series so far? Well, I find how every single game has had a different feel to it, and yep. uh, Game One and Game Two draw pretty good ratings as well. And and it's funny how the matchup that we didn't expect. It, um, with two fairy tales, one of them coming true. I think that's probably why we're getting so much good ratings out of this is because no one expected it, but everyone wants to see how it ends. Yeah. And that's probably why this and the other that probably we'll ever see for a long time. And in game one, we saw like chance after chance back and forth, especially in that first period. Um, in game two, um, we saw a more tighter defensive game. And in game three, we saw more of the physical stuff. Like uh, we talked about Devontae Smith-Pelly uh, bumping into Flurry, But later in the game, uh, I don't know if it was behind the play or after the play, but he actually kicks. Flurry's stick is stationary on the ice. Flurry's trying to pick it up, and he just kicks it away from him. So, like, like. No team has really pushed Vegas to the point where they're getting frustrated, and Washington is starting to do that right now. They've done what no team in these playoffs have done, and that's beat Vegas in back-to-back games. Yeah. And Vegas hasn't had that happen to them in months. So this is uncharted territory, and it's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back. The other thing I love about the start to this series is how the fourth-line names have really stepped up. We talked about Thomas Nozick and what he's been able to do and, and Ryan Reeves stepping up in big moments. How about Lars Eller, though? Like, the dude's got 15 points at last check in these playoffs. Yeah. Uh, Brooks Orp getting the game winner, the eventual game winner in game two. 
Uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly stepping up. Jay Beagle getting two assists and uh, one of the three stars in game three. Um, it's not. It's nice to see guys not named TJ Oshie, not named Alex Ovechkin, not named Jonathan Marchessault so stepping up in those big moments and, and coming up with those uh, big plays for their teams. These fourth liners work really hard. It's really nice to see them get rewarded. Because, like, we're growing up, you know, it's just the same person with an, with, a, with an imagination just standing in your driveway. That big moment is right in front of you, and you're, and you're trying so hard to imagine being that guy, scoring that game-winning goal. And you see these fourth-liners who are basically born to hit every, anything that moves, born to keep up with uh, the top-line guys on the other teams. They're not supposed to be scoring highlight real goals or timely goals, period. And they're making a name for themselves in these playoffs, and that's terrific to see. And um, I, I love everything about this series so far. It's probably the most enjoyable Stanley Cup Finals I've watched in a long time. Yeah, it is, uh, especially the first game where I was just scoring every, every um, you know, which way it was kind of seemed like some, a goal every five or ten. Yeah, yeah, it felt like it was. Uh, you know, it's something that we're not really used to nowadays. And you know, it's like, um, you know, it's it's funny because I always been like, you know, people who have watched um, hockey in in the eighties and the nineties, or when I look back in like box courses back then, and how all the players like had like routinely had a ton of goals and all that stuff I was just like oh like this is a different time back then where you know I'm so used to just like keeping the lead as soon as you get a goal you know I was just expect my team to um the team to play more conservative and stuff and this is kind of refreshing to see that like these two teams are you know just putting up the goals and they're not they're never stopping they're never giving up and they're never like you know doing, like, enough is enough kind of thing, and they're not... Yeah, they're playing just relentless yeah. hockey. That's so and I, I think that, and that's good for hockey in a way. It's, like, something that, um, you know, just more offense, more goals, uh, that's what fans want to see, and so that's that's kind of um, that's kind of cool to uh, to see, and um, I'm, I hope it stays more, um, or this, like, shows uh, coaches that, like, this you know, this kind of style of play can work. Um, but yeah, especially when you consider that Washington has yeah. the third highest cap and yep. Vegas has the eighth lowest. Right, yeah, that's true. And I think I think that's kind of how Vegas has played all year, to be fair. It's like they, you know, yeah, they've totally. never stopped. When they get a goal, they're not, like, trying to say, like, okay, let's maintain this. Lee, yeah, we're not going to try to score. Yeah, they they, sit back and wait and yeah, just, they, uh, they always you always the they keep going. They come, yeah. keep coming at you. And like I always get annoyed whenever there's there've been times I remember early on in the in the Bruins season there was a couple of games where the Bruins would get a lead and then they'd just chill for a minute and then all of a sudden the other team would start scoring goals and the Bruins were just too relaxed to come back after that. So it's just like that's like a that's what teams should do is they should never relent they should never stop playing um, and not trying to score goals or shooting so 
Um, so all the, uh, so I do hope that we see, um, you know, I hope that coaches see this and say like, oh, maybe we could start scoring some goals. Maybe that's a, that's an interesting concept here. Um, or maybe give our bottom six forwards maybe more ice time because yeah, that's uh, the, the, they've certainly done a good job of taking advantage of the time they've got. Yeah, or maybe uh, taking their very own William Carlson and, and put him on a top line and see a, and not give up on a guy like William Carlson. Um, but yeah, that that's true too. Um, also, I do want to mention that um, there's been a lot more press on the uh, Vegas pregame show, um, which I, I don't know if, what your thoughts on this are, Steve, but I love it. Um I just—I don't know if you've ever been to Las Vegas, but no, our, I've never been to the U.S. Love yeah. Vegas. Okay, <laughs> but uh, just just so you know, like any of these, sh- this like all those pregame shows are exactly what like a Vegas show is like, and so that's kind of why I love it. Like I don't think it would work you know, for every every team, but just having like this like corny like night, like, trying to fight, like, a capital-type person, um, in, like, in the rink, and it's just, like, and then the ice has graphics, and then there's, like, a drum line, a castle, a catapult, and all that stuff, it's just, like, a Circus de Soleil, uh, type, uh, type of show, basically, um, yeah, and, and I, yeah. I, I, uh, went to uh, Medieval Times in Toronto. I don't know if you've ever been to Medieval no. Times, but it's it's, it's kind of got that vibe to it. I think. Yeah, I, I have been to a couple of uh, Circus du Soleil shows in, um, in in Vegas, and they're, you know, it's basically just a bunch of acrobats um, for those at home who don't know, or Steve who doesn't know, who might not know. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's basically, it's just widely entertaining, um, but kind of, like, a little stu- silly, but, like, you know, it's kind of, like, a good silly. So I, I kind of like how this, like, this kind of, um, this pregame it, show it, is... It's a, nice, it's a nice twist, for sure, because yeah. the most entertaining pregame show I've seen is a bunch of people in Nashville just smashing a card of pieces for the entire season. Right, right, yeah. So, like, I feel like it's, like, a, it's a good thing, because it's, like, this is like something that's special in Vegas. It's the only thing that you can really go to Vegas and not get anywhere else. Yeah, and exactly. so, so that's kind of why I love it. Um, I don't know if I feel like it's getting some heat cause it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of not really based in around hockey, but it kind of is at the same time. It's, uh, at the time when I was watching the pregame shows, I was like really excited to watch, um, to get, play some hockey after that. I was just like, oh my god, this is like, I wish I was there kind of thing. So, um, and just some of the all-star power that they've had, like, you know, you got Bryce Harper on the bandwagon, yeah. you got uh, little John uh, doing his thing uh, before the game as well, and yep. I think uh, Travis Barker, Blink-182, also stopped by as well. So, like, they're bringing out all the star power, too, which yep. is nice for, especially a team that's only been in the league, like, not even 12 months. Yep. And meanwhile, the Capitals have Shaggy, Sting, and Pat Sajak, so really old <laughs> people. But, um, yeah, no, you're right. It's, uh, um, it, is, uh, it is good that Vegas has been able to bring in a new market and get 
uh, like casual got fans interested in this game. Hopefully, um, I guess that that is the hope. Um, They've really grown on me. Yeah. Even the, the one mistake is that they snagged Mark Mathot. That's the one thing bad yeah. thing I have about. Them. Yeah. I love everything else. Um, I'm more annoyed that they took Malcolm Subban from from us, but um, through a yeah, waiver thing. Who would have thought uh, yeah. that? Uh, Trading Pickard and getting Malcolm Subban. Who would have who would have thought that worked out as well as it did? Yeah, like how, why do you even claim? Like we just put him in a waivers. Who claims that guy? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no, you're right. The, they have been uh, they've been pretty good. Um, yeah, it is funny that you mentioned Bryce uh, Bryce Harper, considering the fact that he. Um, yeah, he actually plays for a yeah. baseball team in Washington. Yeah, and he, but he grew up in Vegas. But it, it is funny though. Uh, although he's going to be a free, he's probably not going to be a Nationals yeah. next year. So, uh, so kind of like quitting before he's ahead. Um, yeah. All right, let's go to other things. Oh, um, I do have some more questions actually. Um, yeah. So what do you think will happen next in this series? Uh, I, I don't know. I think um, the the Capitals do have the advantage here, and I, th- and I was talking about the defense particularly for Vegas. Um, I think if Vegas' defense is better, then I think it will be like a seven-game series. Um, I still think the Capitals will win. I'm not sure if it's just... It might be a Capitals and six type situation instead of a Capitals and seven. Um, I think that Golden Knights will get at least one. So, um, yeah. What what, um, what is your prediction? Has this changed? If, if the Caps win Game Four, they're eventually going to win this series. But okay. I think Vegas is too good for that to happen. I stay in my prediction that Vegas is going to be up three two heading into Game Six, so they'll take Games Four and Five. Um, I think, though, Shea Theodore and the defense are definitely going to have to be better. They're going to yeah. have to be a big part of that comeback. Um, they they haven't been playing as well as they should be. Uh, I'm expecting a very long series. I hope it goes the distance. And I think when we talk again next week, it's nothing's going to be decided. There won't be a Stanley Cup champion, and uh, we'll be in for quite a finish. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it should be fun. Um, the... Okay, so let's go to the rapid fire. Um, Phil Kessel, uh, there was a report out. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on who the actual source was, but it was reported that Phil Kessel was supposedly upset he didn't get to play with Malkin in the playoffs. Um, and now there are some trade rumors. Um, it does seem kind of like, I don't know, We we'd, this show never really does have uh, highlights trade rumors, uh, just because, you know, they're rumors, they're exactly that, they're not, they're all purely speculative, but... But it's like, why would you want out of Pittsburgh, right? Right, exactly, but this seems to have some, some kind of, um, I don't know, like, spin to it, like, it, it might have some truth to, um, it, that the, the Kessel might be out, on his way out, um, in Pittsburgh, um, I don't know, I think it would be kind of, um... Kessel, I feel like is like adds is like another wild card to the Penguins. It's like it makes it kind of unfair. It's like you have Crosby, you have Malkin, and then you have another superstar in Phil Kessel. 
Um, especially since he, you know, Phil Kessel had a, like 30 plus goals this season. Um, and he, you know, he's a valuable part to their team. I understand it if it's like a cap for cap reasons, um, if they're going to trade him for that. But um, that's the only reason why they trade him. Yeah, and I, I feel like it would be stupid to trade him other for any other reason. Um, but even for cap reasons, it doesn't make sense too much because it's not like they're that um, they're that much in cap debt or cap hell. Um, according to Cap Friendly, they have four million seven hundred thousand um, in projected cap space. So um, I don't know. I don't think they would necessarily need to um, trade a guy like Kessel, and he also has a no movement clause, so that makes it even tougher to trade a guy like that. But um, I don't know. I I still feel like there is some clout there. Maybe there. Maybe it's just after frustration of losing um, in the playoffs like that. But um, I don't know. Maybe there, there is something to the, the fact that Phil Kessel um, is unhappy uh, with uh, how Sullivan uh, handled his ice time in the playoffs. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is anything to this? Any truth? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there is, and, and I'll just add on to what uh, you just said. Feel free to chime in there, Brett. Uh, yep. Just going to go on a little bit of a spin here. So Mark Madden says the Pens are going to attempt to move Kessel this offseason, and he is apparently okay with that. Um, he points to an underlying dissatisfaction between Phil and his head coach, Mike Sullivan. Uh, the story goes that Kessel's frustrated, as you mentioned, that he's not playing a Malkin's line enough, that he's being bumped up and down the lap too much. And I get that, you know, you want to establish chemistry with a certain line. I totally get that. But, you know, like, that's a perfect problem for a guy like Mike Sullivan to have. Like, Sheree, I don't think Phil Kessel realized that a lot of teams can have when you have so much talent, you can just move over around and, and just make it so unpredictable for um, – for the other teams to contain you. And I, and you talk about like not playing a Malkin's line enough and you still look at the offensive numbers, which I'll get to later. Phil Kessel's never had a season like this in his life. Yeah. So even though he was moved up and down the lineup a lot, he still did better than he has any other year. True. So, uh, but Ron Cook of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette has the other side to the story. Sullivan's frustration stems from Kessel's desire to continue his Ironman streak in the regular season, which resulted in an un-Kessel-like postseason showing in which he got nine points in 12 games, but only a single goal. And then Jim uh, Jim Rutherford, the GM of the Penguins, comes out and says, ah, this whole thing's being blown out of proportion. So if there's ever a time to trade Kessel, it's right now, and here's why. Guys like Jake Getzel and Matt Murray are going to get paid in the long term. You'd be plain stupid if you traded either Malkin or Crosby to do that. So Kessel becomes the obvious scapegoat. And according to Sportsnet's website, the best free agent right winger available is Mikhail Grabner. So teams in the hunt for a good right winger today will have to make a trade. Kessel's making a $7 million base salary for the next two years getting $6 million per year in the final two years. Granted, five of that $6 million is bonus money. But he's still got a modified no trade, and he has to pick eight teams he'd be willing to accept a trade to. If this was any other year, it would be tough ass to get full value for Phil Kessel. 
But this year was arguably his best in the league. He got 37 goals, the most since 2013-2014. Career high, 58 assists. In his first year with the Penguins, he had 59 points. Last year, he had 70. This year, a career high, whopping 92 points. 42 of those on the power play, also a career high. He got more than 10 power play goals in the season for the first time since 2011-2012. His shooting percentage was at 13%, the highest since his final year with, oh, the Boston Bruins, which was in 2008-2009. This is the right time to trade Phil Kessel. And for all of you who think, oh, Jim Rutherford doesn't want to trade him, though. Why else would a GM say that? Think about it. If they know that Phil Kessel is up on the trading block, why in the hell would you give full value for him? You're just going to stand by, just watch the situation unravel, and then pounce at the, low, at the lowest value. Yeah. Why would you Why would you give him full value right now and just, just wait until he's available? If yeah, there is a true. time for Pittsburgh to get the best value for Phil Kessel, it's right here, right now. And Jim Rutherford has got to get the deal done at some point in the offseason if this happens. But it, it would just the stars are just aligning right now perfectly for Phil Kessel trade. It's uh, not anything bad that he did. He's doing everything right. But Pittsburgh wants to contend for future cups for the longest time. Yep. I think this trade makes sense because they've already won two cups with Phil Kessel. They won nine straight playoff series. What else yeah. do they have to prove? I don't know. I think it's I think it's something that uh, well first off, Phil Kessel's thirty years old. He had ninety two points, um, as you just mentioned. That's by far his best season. Um, but like at the same time he has consistently had like about twenty five ish goal seasons and um, so like even if he doesn't, you know, sustain that kind of level of play as he has this year, which he might. It's certainly possible, um, considering he is 30 years old. I don't know. There is definitely a possibility that he's he's still going to be, you know, maybe like an 80-point guy, an 85-point guy, which is still very good. Um, so... Um, I'm looking here. His best season was when he was in the 20, um, his best previous season, I should say, was in 2011 to 2012 when he had 37 goals and 82 points for Toronto. And that was when he was 24 years old. Um, but, um, I guess there's also, he, uh, when he was 21 years old on the Bruins, he had 36 goals and 60 points, so um, there is something to that, but I don't know, I, I, I think uh, I think Kessel still has a couple more years left in him, and I feel like it would just be stupid for the, the Penguins to uh, to trade him uh, for that very reason, um, you know, maybe he's just a late bloomer, and um, he kind of has figured things out, I know that there were some things behind the scenes, as you mentioned, but um, I don't know. I feel like those kind of things could just blow over, and um, you know, maybe the next year Kessel's just fine and and, uh, and does his thing. Um, I didn't realize that 
Sullivan didn't like his obsession of having an Iron Man streak, which seems kind of silly to um, to say because it's like, wouldn't you want your players to play all eighty-two games or uh, for a full season? Um, I don't know. It, it that seemed kind of strange for me to, for Sullivan uh, to be like, oh, he's obsessed with playing. Um, you know, a consecutive game streak that he has instead of, I don't know, just not, um, <laughs> you know, like, that's not really something you have to worry about unless maybe he is, he was playing injured, but I don't think he was. So, um, it is a little interesting to say the least in terms of if you're knocking him for playing a lot of games, um, but he's still, He's still performing to his um, to his capabilities. It doesn't make sense um, to say that, like, oh, that's why Sullivan is mad. Um, if it's like something like he's mad about how he plays defense, that'd be one thing. But just for the fact that he's playing too many games, doesn't make sense to me. And the fact uh, is, they've all played too many games because they yes. went on deep playoff runs for two consecutive right. years. Yeah, that that too. So I don't know. Something doesn't check out there. If if that's really what Sullivan was uh, mad about, but um, maybe that's the part that Rutherford was saying was blown out of proportion. But I, I'm not saying that they have to trade Phil Kessel yep. because there's they'd be a great team out Phil Kessel, uh, with Phil Kessel. In fact, remember yep. earlier in the season when Pittsburgh was still an average team. And we were saying, where in the world would the Penguins be without Phil Kessel? Phil Kessel was their was their top scorer, I think, at one point when we, when we talked about his importance to the team. So, like, this guy can play a big role for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he, yeah. and he did for pretty much all of this year. But I'm just saying, if there's any time to move the contract, it's right now. Because you're not sure if he's going to be worth this much in 12 months. Yeah. That's, it's just more of the long-term side for the betterment of the franchise if it's if it's a good decision to trade Kessel. Because he's, he's won two Stanley Cups. When they got this guy, he didn't win anything. And now he's got two Cups under his belt. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. There is something to that. I just, I don't know. I feel like, it, I guess it would just depend on the return you could, you could get for a guy like yeah. Phil Kessel. If the return, if yeah. the return is good, then yeah. obviously I think... Uh, not too many people in Pittsburgh will mind it, but right. if, if if it's even less than what they got for him, I think it's going to be a disappointment. Like, okay, so or here's what they had to give up for him. Sorry, here's an interesting trade. I don't know if uh, Nashville will do it, but there are rumors that PK Subban might be traded in the off season as well. It's a little less than uh, uh, than uh, the Penguins, you know, with Phil Kessel, but. Um, that would be kind of an interesting one-for-one one type deal because the Penguins do need some defense. Um, and, uh, you know, and P.K. Subban definitely has that star power that Kessel also has. Um, and maybe, I don't know, and the, the Predators uh, could use more depth um, in their forward spots. So, you know, you have a guy like Phil Kessel join the ranks. Um, it would be kind of like a win-win for both of them. But, um I don't know, that could be an interesting trade if, if that were to happen. 
As a Sens fan, I would hate that because I would hate the Penguins even more because now yeah. PK is going to hurt us again. So. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, I'd rather sure. stay out of the Eastern Conference. That would be an interesting one for one, though. Imagine yeah. another another one for one involving PK Subban that would generate just as much attention across the league. Yeah. But um, it, I guess we're trying to keep Ryan Ellis, but. I, I don't think David Poyle would take on, you know, a contract that he that he wasn't really sure. Like he got he got rid of a, a bad contract in Shea Weber. Why would True. he want to take on a, a Phil Kessel type contract? True, I guess there is something to that, but I mean Phil Kessel would make their team their team better if you had like another depth kind of guy there. I mean I know you have Forsberg, and you have Arvidsson. Yeah, and they got a depth guy in Turris in that Matt Duchesne yeah. trade. But, like, I don't know, like, Turris didn't really show up in the playoffs, although I guess neither did Phil Kessel, but... Um, yeah. So, so I don't know, There, there is something to that, where they only have, like, they're at the moment, I feel like the Predators are a one-line team, um, so if you get a guy like Phil Kessel to be your second-line guy... Um, then I think you're you're on your way to something. Um, so I, I think maybe because Pittsburgh has traded so much of their prospects, yeah, or or their draft picks, like they traded uh, Philip Gustafson, their goaltending prospect, to the Sens in the Derek Broussard trade. I wonder if Vegas could be an option because Vegas, a, they have the cap, right, and b, they have the prospects and uh, the draft picks to get it done. Yeah, that's true. So I can totally see Vegas doing that. I can totally see it in the offseason. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, let's go to, uh, you have, uh, well, so there's some big um, news stories um, this week on concussions and more importantly CTE. Um, Rick Westhead, I think, of Sportsnet. Um, uh, TSN, but yes, TSN. Rick Westhead is the guy that did it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he had a lot of reports about how the owners, um, Treat uh, treat CTE like it's not a thing, really. Um, in fact, Jeremy Jacobs, which I'll get into in our Bruins Sense segment, which we have for the first time in a long time, but Jeremy Jacobs even denied that he knew what G- CTE is. But um, you have a lot, since you are in Canada um, and you're more, uh, it doesn't seem like it travels that far over um, down here in America. So, um, so you have a lot of different stories about, um, what Westhead has found out and has put out in the public. Mm -hmm. So the first story was about Jeremy Jacobs. So we'll save that to the Bruins segment, but I got a lot of other stuff. Uh, so here's, uh, here's, uh, the headline I believe that was released on Tuesday. NHL lawyer requested a dementia warning be removed from an NHL concussion poster. Wow. So here's what he found out. Here's what Request had found out. Quote, the NHL's in-locker room warning in 2013 came three years after the National Football League began distributing its own poster advising players of the potential consequences of concussions. The NFL's poster asserts that repeated head trauma might lead to dementia and early onset of dementia. The poster also advises that players that that have repeated concussions can change your life and your family's life forever. The NHL went in a different direction. Posters hung in NHL locker rooms do not include the word dementia. 
The NHL posters also do not include the warning issued by the NFL to its players that repeated head trauma could lead to permanent brain damage. According to the testimonies of an NHL lawyer, NHL medical consultant, and NHL Players Association medical consultant, an NHL doctor worried about using too many words on the poster because of the growing percentage of foreign players in the NHL and so-called cultural differences, end quote. Tell that to Johan Franson and his wife. Tell that to a guy who is battling a brain injury, who's got a medical team by his side. Tell that to tough guy Mike Peluso, who was diagnosed with dementia himself. Tell that to every person who has had a concussion while playing hockey. You think the cultural differences and language barriers matter to them? They want to have fun playing this game, but they also want to feel as safe as can be. We owe it to them to at least deliver a warning. Yep. As Brian Burke said, it's a full contact sport. It wasn't meant to be safe. Right. So that that's what really uh, got my attention. Didn't Brian Burke also say that uh, you can get a head injury, you can get concussion, there's more concussions if you're swimming than by playing hockey, though? I didn't. Read that quote, no. I, I remember, it was, I think it was like a year ago where he was saying that there's more concussions in swimming than there were in hockey, which I, I found that hard to believe. I know <laughs> that if you're if you're swimming a lot and you're, you know, you're, your head is splashing around all the time, but that was a ridiculous claim to say. But anyways, <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, yeah, anyways, all right. Uh, so, so that was one story. Um, I actually didn't realize that dementia was a big part of concussions. Um, so, so when I first heard this, I was like, oh, what's the big deal? But then you have a good point. It's just like, there are definitely, like, dementia has to do with your brain. So does CTE. And it's also like, you know, there are definitely players, as you mentioned, who are dealing with dementia purely because they played hockey. Um, there is a, there is a connection there. So, um, so what, what were the other news stories? I think you had more than that. Yeah, yeah, it was a five-part series, so there was a lot, but um, yeah. there's um, there's another chunk that I wanted to get to. So there was another headline that said, NHL says the NHLPA blocked an effort to start long-term study of retired players. Um, that was after this story that was released on Wednesday, which involved comments made by former NHLer Pat Lafontaine, that were uh, actually cut out. Uh, so I'll explain here in uh, Rick Westhead's article uh, from Wednesday. It starts off like this, quote, Six days before that five-minute making of a Royal episode was posted on YouTube on December 16, 2011. NHL Vice President of Media Relations Frank Brown ordered NHL video producer Ryan Bader to remove a, se- uh, to remove a section of LaFontaine's comments about concussions. Uh, his comments read, once you get a concussion, you are four to six times more likely to get another one, and it's probably exponential from there. That clip was from Pat LaFontaine. That clip was dropped. And then there was this quote. A lot less mothers and fathers cringing, wondering when the next ambulance is going out. In an email to NHL video producer Ryan Bader, Frank Brown said that clip, in capitals, must go. That was written six days before the episode was released on YouTube. Surprisingly, Frank Brown wasn't deposed in connection with the NHL concussion lawsuit, and Meager said he didn't know why his colleague demanded changes to the video. 
someone is not telling the whole story. Yeah, that that is a little fishy. I don't know what's yeah, going on. It, it is very, very fishy to me. Um, like, yeah. I, I get the NHL is so popular right now, but I mean, come on. Do, do, do we want to become another NFL that just denies concussions at every turn, that denies well, how dangerous our sport can possibly be? Like, yeah. we, we owe it to be honest to the players, you know? Like, once, like, you know, players give it their all. Players are living out their dreams. They're going to do whatever it takes to win a hockey game. And then they get a concussion. They go through all of this. And then what? What are we going to do for them? What are we going to do for them when they need us the most? Are we just going to let them just sit there helpless? Right. I think it's, it's, well, I mean, I know why the owners and all the people in the NHL are doing this. It's because, you know, they don't want to lose their lawsuits. So they don't, it's purely based off of money. Um, and they don't want to, they don't want to like say to publicly admit that like their product that they're, they're running is very dangerous, even though they probably know behind the scenes that it is very dangerous. So that's why they're being all this shady and like saying like oh let's you know make sure you don't include this and make sure you don't include that like like Um, we'll address some of it but we don't want to get to the root of the problem yeah like just reveal how much dirt we're hiding yeah i did i actually i forget who who said this but i do remember seeing uh that like someone uh emailed colin campbell saying that they should uh stop or that they should tell the refs to stop calling um, major penalties because then the media pays attention to those ones, um, and which is kind of just a weird which thing they to should. say. Yeah, which they should absolutely pay attention to them. Yeah, exactly. So that was like a that's a ridiculous thing to to say. It's like, hey, let, let, but like the other crazy thing is, it's like they're worried about the media covering it. Um, so it's just like stop. Hey, refs! Stop! Uh, stop calling all these media, like uh, these major penalties, because um, no, we just want to sweep things under the rug. It's not like we, you don't notice that a guy gets hit in the head like that. So it's uh, and it's social yeah. media too. Even if they don't call a major penalty, people are going to see it on Twitter. So exactly. clearly got a gif of it, and there's going to be outrage. Yeah. Twitter. Even if you don't call a major penalty, they're just going to be like, "Oh, that was dirty. That was right. dirty. They gotta call that." Right, and and it's and there's outrage already, and there's all there's all the suspension stuff too. So it's like um, there is all this like stuff where they do acknowledge it. It's just, um, but it's just a weird thing to try to cover up something that you can't really cover up. Um, so yeah, um, yeah it, that is a weird situation. And, and you're right, the media still does cover it. If you're go you go on Twitter. Any NHL night, um, you'll see like someone say like, "Oh my God, that's a dirty hit." Uh, he's going to be called for, yeah. you know, he's going to be suspended. How many games, kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, that that stuff is unavoidable. But it's just weird that they're even trying to sweep it under the rug, which is just ridiculous. And I think that's what's going to yeah. cost them in the long run. Sometimes it's not just the action; it's the cover up. Yeah. Sometimes the cover-up's the most dirty. 
Like, yeah. I can totally see the truth coming out and them just looking like, I don't know, I don't know what to call it, but it's, they're, they're foolish to think if they're hiding anything, that's not going to come out. It's going to come out at some point and they're going to look tremendously bad for it. Yeah. So either come up and fess up the truth now or lie about it and have the truth come up later. Like with, with damning evidence like this, uh, we're, we're shining a bright light to what's going on behind the scenes. A lot of stuff that you assume that maybe it's true, but you don't know about it for sure. And then it's right in front of you and you're just like, oh my God, what are they even doing? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, okay. Uh... Yeah, I think that's it in terms of all the uh, news items on CT that you have, right? Yeah, well, we'll talk about the Jeremy Jacobs stuff in the Bruins yeah. sense. Right. But yeah, that's that. pretty much all I have, yeah. Um, all right, let's go to the next topic. Uh, there's a lot of assistant coach hires. The main one that I remember that I found was uh, Glenn Goldson, who, used, who was the Calgary Flames coach last year. Um, he's now going to be the assistant coach for the Oilers. I find that kind of interesting considering there's a division rivalry between those two teams. Um, I don't know if... And it's also kind of interesting, too, because I feel like the Oilers' biggest weakness is their defense. Um, and the the Flames weren't necessarily great on defense, per, to say. So um, I'm not sure if this is a smart hire for them, but... Um, it is kind of interesting that it's like they're, uh, that Glenn Goldson doesn't have to travel far for his new position. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, getting up to, um, we'll start off with that. So, uh, Todd McClellan and Glenn Goldson, as you mentioned, are now buddies. They're working for the same team. Uh, Trent Yoni was also hired as an assistant by the Oilers. Uh, if you watched any of the Flames practices, Glenn Goldson is not afraid to speak his mind. So. True. Perhaps this could be the wake-up call that the Oilers needed, or maybe they push the buttons of a young team too hard and it doesn't work. So, yeah, uh, we'll or it's like, let's say, work. you also have like a a, uh, a coach in waiting. Like, let's say McClellan or the yeah, Oilers have a rough start. Things go yeah. south early, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Just like a bit of an insurance uh, policy, I guess. Speaking of the Flames, they also hired two assistants. Uh, joining Bill Peters behind the bench are Jeff Ward and Ryan Huska. One of them knows how to work a power play. The other has uh, known a lot of prospects uh, in the Flames system for about four years now. Uh, and power play was one of the weaknesses that the Flames need to improve upon. So uh, we'll see how that works there. Uh, Tampa Bay also made some changes behind the bench. John Cooper stays, but his two assistants, Rick Bonus, the first coach in the modern history of the Ottawa Senators, by the way, and Brad Lauer have both been dismissed uh, from their duties, so they're on the hunt for two assistant coaches there. And uh, the first assistant coach uh, to John Montgomery was hired. Uh, that would be former Oilers coach Todd Nelson. So he is an assistant coach in Dallas now. Oh. Um, yeah, okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know if any of those uh, moves will have a huge impact on their teams, but We'll see. Um, and then lastly, we have Arkady Bathurst. And I, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. 
Titans, uh, they win the uh, Memorial Cup, um, which you have a lot more information on that as well. I'm relying yes, on you uh, a lot shots. this week, this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's totally okay. Uh, so uh, it was a pretty good game, a lot of pace to it. The shots were 12-5 to 5 in the first, uh, favoring the Teton. Uh, they call it the Teton, not the Titans. I I uh, thought they called it the Titans, but they didn't. It's actually, uh, uh, they were based in New Brunswick, by the way, which is the only bilingual province in Canada, so that's interesting. Uh, and... Uh, the uh, Regina Pats rookie goaltender Max Pack was tested even more in the second period. Had to face 24 shots in the second period alone, and he stopped all of them to keep it a one-goal game. Um, actually, he took over the starting job um, in the tournament. Absolutely exceptional for his team in this game. And he's also draft eligible in a few weeks, so uh, it'll be interesting to see if any scouts uh, maybe take a chance on him in the sixth or seventh round. Uh, uh, but he, he posted decent numbers in the WHL, so may, maybe they wait uh, for a couple of years and see what he can do. Uh, and uh, the Pats rewarded their goalie by uh, putting 17 shots towards Blues prospect Evan Fitzpatrick. Unfortunately for them, all 17 of them were stopped, and the Teton won uh, the game uh, by a score of 3-0 uh, to nothing and their first Memorial Cup in franchise history, so congrats to them. For the second straight year, however, the MVP winner was on the losing team, Dylan Stroman, 2017. This year, Sam Steele of the Regina Pats and an Anaheim Ducks prospect uh, took home the honors. In seven WHL playoff games, he had 11 points, and he chalked up a pair of goals and finished with 11 assists, 13 points in just five games played in this tournament. Uh, And that was capped off by a five-assist game against Swift Current. So, uh, congrats. Not so much congrats to Sam Steele. Congrats that he won the award. Unfortunately, not so much congrats because his team lost. Uh, and there was also plenty of CHL awards uh, for the second straight year. And for the first time in CHL history, someone took home the goalie of the year award. That was, Brett. Uh, what year? For the, the first time in CHL history. Two-time winner of the Goalie of the Year Award, the CHL Award. Any guesses as to that could be? Who it could be or when? Um, I don't know. Uh, Matt Murray? I know he was in the CHL and he had a good uh, couple of years there. He did. Uh, Carter Hart is the correct answer. He became uh, the first goaltender in CHL history to win the CHL Award. Oh, that was a trick question. For two years in a row. I thought I thought you were because I I had Car- no, I, no. I knew Carter Hart no, was. This is recent. He just did it. Okay. He, last week. He, he I I thought I thought you were gonna say like oh he's the second one but okay. No no he's the All first. Right. Cool. All right. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh is that it or? Um. Well, actually, actually, there is uh, another award that I, I wanted to mention. Uh, we mentioned uh, a couple of times Alexis Lafreniere of yep. the Ramuski Oceanic, uh, projected top five pick. Uh, I think it's next year's draft. I thought it was like um, two he years. Had, he had uh, 42 goals and 80 points this year. He took home CHL Rookie of the Year honors. And Vegas defenseman uh, prospect Nicholas Haig scored 35 goals and 43 assists. He took home defensive uh uh, defenseman of the year honors there as well. So um, I believe, oh yeah, he's eligible in 2020. 
2020. Okay, so that's a couple of ways away. But uh, he, he made a big name for himself this year uh, yeah. for uh, the Ramuski Coach Jennings. So they got a bright future with him, too. Yeah, I think he's... Well, that was Sidney Crosby's team, and I think he's yeah. also... Yeah, uh, yeah. LeCavalier and uh, Brad Richards also played for uh, Ramuski, too. Yeah. They've, they've uh, developed a lot of big-name uh, talent that went on to have NHL stardom. So. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Cody Bathurst, uh, of the, they won the Memorial Cup. They uh, they had that was Patrice Bergeron's team when he was in junior. So, um, yeah. and they went on it uh, to the Memorial Cup there as well. So, um, so that that's kind of cool. Um, okay, well, let's go to the Bruins Sense segment. We haven't had this in a long, long time. Um, yeah. Well, I guess I'll start with the Bruins because it's. Um, I haven't talked in a while, um, but, uh, Jeremy Jacobs, um, is an idiot as we mentioned before. Um, but more specifically, uh, during the, there was a questionnaire, um, on CTE, um, you know, cause there's this lawsuit thing and, uh, he was asked, um, if he has ever heard of the disease of CTE. Um, I, I think he, uh, uh, he he was given the actual name of what CTE stands for, but um, but like he was a, a chronic traumatic encephalopathy. I'm sure I don't know how to pronounce the e part of the CTE, but it's the first the C and the T are chronic traumatic. Um, Encephalopathy, maybe. Anyways, anyways, uh, he uh, Jeremy Jacobs said no. Um, which is, um, I mean, as we talked about before during this, that segment in a rapid fire, I understand why owners are doing this and why players are even doing this, but to the fact that like, you know, they just want to save money and, uh, you know, they don't want to be sued. They don't want to, uh, get, uh, you know, they don't want to lose this lawsuit. So they, uh, deny all, uh, amounts of um, probability that they knew what they were doing. Um, so so that's likely why Jeremy Jacobs said, no, he has not heard of CTE. But at the and same time... on top of that, in Rick Westhead's report, it, it also says that Jacobs said he couldn't recall reading about CTE or hearing it being discussed at any NHL meetings, which I think is total bogus because yeah. there's this freaking lawsuit. Yeah. Surely it's... But it was brought up. Right, right, either, yeah. Either he heard it and he wasn't paying attention, or it didn't bother but, him to pay attention. But what, what what bothers me more is this is the this is the, you know he's the owner of the Boston Bruins since so, like the seventies, right? Since like the seventies, Mark Savard. I mean, he doesn't have CTE, but Mark Savard, or he may have CTE, but Mark Savard uh, was their best player for uh, like two years, and it was cut short because he had a concussion. Their best player right now in Patrice Bergeron, who's been in the league for like 10 years, speaking of Patrice Bergeron, he got, like, early on in his career, he was, like, rear-ended, and he had had a, like, miss, he was out for the season um, due to concussions. Just the, like, the whole fact that they're just a dismissal of, like, concussions, and you're the Bruins owner, and like, like the whole reason why uh, the NHL has been suspending guys was purely for that rule, like forty three or uh, rule four ninety three, I think it was, that like was put in place because 
of that Mark Savard, Matt Cook injury there. Yeah. And so to say, like, that he's never heard of CTE or that it's never been discussed, when, like, your two most prominent guys uh, on your organization have some concussion history, um, especially Mark Savard, and that's, like, the whole reason why it was this stuff has been to the fr- full front, or one of the reasons. I mean, I'm sure there's, like, other guys like Derek Bugard and um, a couple of other enforcers, but, like, to say that, like, you've never heard of CTE is just ludicrous, especially yeah. if you're a part of the Bruins organization like he they is. They should have put a lie detector on him and have him <laughs> yeah. answer these questions. So, so it's like, I understand why he was doing it, because he wants to deny all po- probability that or responsibility, but, like, to say that you've never heard of CTE is absolutely insane. Like, you can, like, it's just... Especially when you were yeah. the owner of, like, a team in the 1970s where, like, yeah. they were probably the most vulnerable to concussions. Yeah. It's just, it's just insane to me that, that, like, this is our owner that we have to deal with. I mean, it does help that you have to deal with Melnick, but... <laughs> At the same time, I don't. I don't wish any any team uh, with uh, having Jeremy Jacobs as an owner. Um, At least your team is good. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, but like you know, at the same time, it's just uh, it's just an it's just annoying. It's my least favorite thing about being a Bruins fan. Um, it's their owner, and that's kind of an important thing too. Um, so uh, I don't know. It's just insane to me that. I, I feel like Mark Savard and Patrice Berger, like, if I'm this incensed by it, imagine how Mark Savard feels or how uh, Patrice Bergeron feels or how many other, other Bruins players who have uh, had concussion history um, in their life um, are feel towards Jeremy Jacobs. So um, it just shows a, a total lack of caringness. And, and we know Jeremy Jacobs is lying. Um, he definitely knows what CTE is or has heard of it. Um, he just doesn't want to say it in, in front of... He's too much of a pansy to, to say it. I'll just say that. He's a cheapskate. Um, <laughs> anyways. It sounds such a medieval term, pansy. He is a pansy. Like, just, every, every time I hear the word pansy, I flash back to Monty Python and the Holy Grail for some reason. Okay. Every time I hear that word pansy. Yeah, they may have... I may have stolen from that, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know, uh, that's enough of that rant, it's just, uh, I just want to get it out there that Jeremy Jacobs does not speak to the Bruins organization, even though he does own the team, so, uh, but, uh, uh, Don, um, what's also ridiculous about Jeremy Jacobs is that he lives in, uh, he lives in, uh, Buffalo, uh, because that's where his, uh, company is, so it's like, He's, he, doesn't, he doesn't even know, like, what Boston is like. I don't know. Um, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. Um, he knows what the weather's like, though. <laughs> yeah, probably, but, like, like his company, Delaware North, is, uh, is located in Buffalo. Um, they just happen to own the Bruins. Um, Sweeney, uh, in other news, in, uh, uh, after that rant, uh, Sweeney is considering bringing uh, Rick Nash back, um, and also 
I think I read that he uh, he, can, he they're only planning on bringing back three of their Bruins uh, UFAs. Um, so I'm not surprised by them wanting to bring uh, Rick Nash back. I know that there are a lot of fans or that have been reading um, aren't exactly uh, too happy about Rick Nash and his play, um, especially in the playoffs. But um, at the same time, it's like we gave up, the Bruins gave up a lot to get him. Um, so it only makes sense for them to uh, try to, you know, keep him up for long term. I'm okay with this as long as it's, um, as long as it's like uh, for short, short, like maybe like three years, four years at most, um, and you know less money. So maybe four million, five million. I might be okay with five million, but um, so that kind of deal I'd be okay with. I just hope it's not like another long-term contract. Um, that doesn't make sense, but um, but yeah, just. I'd be okay with bringing Rick Nash back, but um, it also probably means that guys like Riley Nash, Tommy Wingles, uh, Tim Schaller, and Nick Holden, and Kudobin might not, um, a couple of those guys may not be um, back on the Bruins. Um, I can totally see Nash and Hugh Dobin with the years that they've had. Uh, yep. they, they'd be wise to keep them around. I I did see that if they're, the Bruins might not keep Riley Nash, considering they have a Jacob Forsbacher Carlson um, in the wings. Um, so sure they enough. might not do that. And Riley Nash um, was really just effective when uh, Patrice Bergeron was injured. So there is that... Um, that factor, but um, yeah, at the same time, I don't know. It's uh, I I wouldn't mind Riley Nash in, but at the same time, I feel like um, I feel like he could get a lot more um, on the yeah, open market. I, I think he could definitely get more yeah. on the open market for sure. Yeah. So I, I I'm preparing that he's probably going to be gone, um, but yeah, I, I think Kadobin will probably stay. Um, I don't know, maybe. T- Tommy Wingles. Schaller was actually a pretty decent um, fourth-line guy for us, so um, I'd like to see him uh, signed up again. So, um, yeah, if if they are, if this is true, that they are sticking to three UFAs, I'm going to predict that Rick Nash, um, Tim Schaller, and Kudobin will be those three but I wouldn't be surprised if they sign Riley Nash um, to a reasonable contract. So um, there's that. Um, and then lastly, there have been some reports that the Bruins are trying to get into the first round um, by making some trades. Um, I think there were, there have been some Tory crew trade rumors, um, but I don't necessarily buy it. Um, but I am putting it out there. I guess we, we're ones who uh, report rumors now, but um, I don't necessarily buy considering that we don't, the defense, the left-handed defense, we don't have a ton of other than Chara. So um, it wouldn't necessarily make sense to um, get rid of, and Tory Krug's been our most consistent guy on offense as an offensive defenseman. Um, for the past couple of years. So I don't know 
uh, why we would necessarily trade him if we're going to go up to the first round. So I am a little nervous that we're going to... Um, I'm fine with going to the first round. I just don't know. I just hope the return isn't too much, which it probably it will better be. better be a top 10 pick. Because yeah. if, it's, if it's not a top 10 pick, I'm not even thinking of trading Tory Crew. Yeah. I, and, and, I, that, and that goes back to like the whole point of like you want you want to keep you know as much of the current team as you have without trying to change too much. And, yeah. and you've already got plenty of prospects to help you build for the future. Right. Like, do you want to sacrifice some of your future just to get a top 10 pick in this draft? Like I know it's I, I, I know the first round's supposed to be great this year, but like is it like how better is it uh, compared to previous first rounds? Like, well, yeah. That was kind of my thinking too. Is like I'm that was kind of why I was okay with getting like getting rid of our first round pick for Rick Nash because we have a pretty much we have a lot of prospects already. We don't necessarily need to draft another first round pick uh, this year. Um, so, so that's what makes me nervous. I think there was a report that it was like the Oilers have the tenth pick, um, so they would take Tory Crew, and it would be a first. So it would be uh, for the tenth round pick, the tenth pick um, in the draft, um, and we would get. But um, yeah, at the same time, oh, another I, deal involving Peter Shirelli. Yeah, please. and it's but it's Sweeney as well. So he's not, he doesn't have a great track record on trades as well but um so i don't know if if i would necessarily do that i i um yeah and i agree with you i do like this youth movement that the bruins have um i just and i just hope that they don't do anything too drastic so if they trade a guy like tory krug that would be my definition of something drastic um like like you you uh, with with the amount of success that they have, I, you know, I just yep. hate for them to do a total three sixty and just get lost in their ways because it's easy to get lost in their ways where you you try and make a trade and you think it's going to make you better and instead it takes you a step or two back. Right, and I know that like Tory Krug struggles on the defensive side of things, so there there is some room for improvement, and I don't know, maybe that will never come. But um, oh, actually, it's. Clef bomb for Tory Krug. That, is, that would be interesting too, but um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's uh, so that I don't, so that I can understand if it's like a defensive thing, and that's why they would trade him. But um, but I just I just don't understand why you would trade a big name like that um, just to get into the first round, um, even if it's a top ten pick. Um, yeah. You know, it, especially since, like, you don't know, like, I don't know. Tory Krug's already groomed pretty much. Yeah. It's going to take time to groom that prospect. Right, And yeah. that puts all the pressure on McAvoy and Sharon now. Exactly. So, um, so that's what leaves me concerned. Um, unless there is, if, if this is true, that there there are talks to get Oscar Clefbaum, then I'd be, I'd be okay with that. But um, Except if you look at his numbers last year, like, he didn't have his best year. Yeah, no, I know, but well, like, well, he wasn't healthy to be fair, but still. Uh, yeah, no, I was about to say, I think he was injured, so there is something to say about it, and I know what he's capable of. He has more potential than Krug does at the moment, so I'd be okay with that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I just I just hope that they don't they know what they're doing and don't yeah. make anything drastic because that they're they're in a good spot, but. Um, 
But yeah, especially since like drafts are, and as you know, like drafts are, they're all hunches really for teams. So, um, you know, like Rasmus Dahlin is probably going to be a good, like a, a solid player. Um, you know, so is Andrei Shevnikov and maybe Zadina and Kachuk. But other than that, in this draft, it doesn't seem like there's there's like a fair drop off after those four. Um, so yeah, there's no runaway right. choices after those four. Yeah. So so unless the Bruins want to get into the that top four, then I don't understand why we would do that. But yeah. um, other than that, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, so yeah, go uh, go on with your uh, Sens news here. Well, it looked like in a normal couple of weeks for the Sens until a couple of stories caught my attention. But we'll tackle the small stuff first. Uh, they inked defenseman Patrick Seeloff and bottom six forward Magnus Priority to new deals. Uh, for Seeloff, it's a two-year, two-way extension. Uh, so that means he's impervious to the waiver wire. He's getting less than 700k at the NHL level per year. So pretty cap-friendly deal. Uh, in my opinion, a low-risk, high-reward type of move. Uh, Pyarvi extension, also a low-risk, high-reward. One-year deal that pays him $900,000 U.S. dollars. Um, chipped in with six goals, two assists in 35 games last year. He can play with speed, can play on the penalty kill. Uh, only taking 72 penalty minutes in 387 NHL games, so he's pretty disciplined as well. Uh, th- those are moves that I like. Um and another good decision is their decision to hire a chief operating officer. Uh, that would be local product uh, Nicholas Bruschowski. He will join the Sens effective June 14th, and his mandate will be to strengthen the organization's business operations. However, in a perfect turn of events, he will have no hockey operations role. So uh, that, that makes total sense to me. Uh, and then we get to the juicy stuff, and we'll start out with uh, the Daniel Alfredson news. Uh, so longtime Ottawa journalist Sue Sharing was the first to bring this up. TSN and Sportsnet quickly picked up on it. Uh, Alfredson was at Jim Watson's campaign on Sunday. He's the mayor of Ottawa. He's up for election. He's up for re-election in uh, fall, in the fall. So in a couple of months from now will be the municipal election. And uh, the two reportedly desire a change in ownership. And uh, here's what Alfie had to say. We have talked a lot. We've talked about the future of the Senators and of its ownership, and we agree we hope to get a new owner. Yes, Alfie said we hope to get a new owner. But uh, then Sharing adds that Alfredson then told her that his comments were off the record, but she used the quotes and explained that the terms of the interview should be agreed upon before anything begins. Uh, The mayor of Ottawa, Jim Watson... Uh, did not share similar comments about the Sens with sharing and would only say he had no say about who the Sens owner is, but would do whatever he could to see a new NHL arena at Le Breton Flats. Uh, that according to TSN. But what we do know is off the record or not, the most popular player in Senators history has pretty much echoed the thoughts of the majority of the Sens fan base. And that is this Eugene Melnick fellows days are numbered and that it might be better for him to step aside. Um, but it's going to take a lot more than that to force Melnick out of town because NHL commissioner Gary Bettman said this, the Sens are not for sale. Eugene Melnick is committed as an owner there. So now it falls on uh, the people of Sens army because last December at the alumni game, when a reporter doubled down and asked, 
uh, Melnick if he would ever move the franchise. He responded, if it becomes a disaster, yes. If we start not seeing crowds showing up, yes. People seem to have more of a trust in Alfredson and what he says these days than Eugene Melnick and what he says. And um, the fans need to speak out. The fans now have Alfie on their side. Melnick, I think, has got to listen to them because it's not just the little voices that are speaking out against them. It's the big voices that are speaking up now. And I hope it doesn't get to the point where barely anybody's showing up to the games, but either way you slice it, this is a real bad look for Melnick here, especially when you consider that Albertson's best buddy is, oh, some guy named Eric Carlson, who you haven't signed to a long-term contract and might leave in 12 months if he doesn't get one. But... If there's maybe a new chief in the chair, maybe he's going to stay. But I really can't see any reason why Eric Carlson would resign if a guy like Alfredson says we need a new owner. Yeah. Like, like if you're in his shoes, Brett, what would you do? Would you want to stay there? Yeah, I think you're right. It is telling that a guy like Alfredson and everything he means to the Sens organization, and if he's saying this out publicly, it doesn't really bode well. to to the Senators franchise if it's like, oh, well, if, if it's that bad that Alfredson um, is saying this, then um, maybe there is some truth to um, getting him out. But I don't know if this actually does anything, right? Because it's like, it's not like, um, it's not like Melnick's going to be like, oh, well, if Alfredson hates me, then I don't want to, you know, um, I might as well just leave. I don't think it can, like, force him out, um, per se. But, yeah, it's, it's not a good luck for Alfredson to, um, for for this kind of news item to happen. Um, but it, it's, it's provided cannon fodder for the fans to say, right. well, we got a guy like Alfie on our side, and maybe if we don't show up, you'll listen to us. True. Because Melnick said, if he's not making money, then that's when he's probably going to sell. And right, but like Melnick again, come to it where they don't sell out any more games. But but then again, Melnick could just move the team. You know, it's not like he he has to sell it. Um, he could just move the team. But yeah, you're right. There is. Yeah, and and, and I I I think it, it's going to be interesting to see how Bettman uh, sells this because it, he did say Eugene Melnick is committed as owner there, but he also says the Sens are not for sale. So if he decides to sell the team, it'll be interesting to see what Bet- what kind of approach that Bettman uh, has. But, yep. Uh, and there was also a, one uh, other bit of uh, news in the Sens operations department, and, uh, oh, surprise, surprise, it's not good. Um, Sens assistant GM Randy Lee arrested in Buffalo towards the start of the NHL draft combine, and uh, here is why according to TSN 1200's Ian Mendez. Uh, apparently, he allegedly grabbed a 19-year-old male hotel shuttle driver on his shoulders after the driver asked him to stop. Uh, allegedly, this happened early Thursday morning. He allegedly made sexually charged comments towards the driver. The cops investigated and arrested Lee at the Weston Hotel as they were concerned he was a flight risk, took his passport, could face a fine somewhere in the area of $250, might not face any jail time for this, but it should be noted alcohol at this point is not suspected to be a factor. That tells me Randy Lee knew exactly what he was doing, and in the court of public opinion, that hurts him. 
in this day and age where people can just be so judgmental on social media, especially on sports teams in the sense that they would stand by and not take proper action. Uh, and especially concerning for Randy because given what's happened with uh, the situations involving Kyle Turris, I, I, I get the feeling for one of those triggy happy franchises where it doesn't take much for them to just say, okay, time for a change. So um, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up losing his job over this in the sense relieve him of his duties. And I'm not saying that he will keep his job. I'm not saying he won't keep his job. I'm I'm just saying for a guy who's been in this business for over 20 years, this does not look good on his track record. And I just hope the organization thinks things through. They make sure what they feel is the best decision. They make it. And they consider uh, all avenues uh, before they make this decision because um, the last thing this organization needs is to just think with their heart and not with their head because um, some, sometimes I, I wonder if, if this organization uh, has really thought things through yep. uh, before making the decision. and. Uh, whether or not they've thought it through, it hasn't yielded good results lately uh, in their trades. So uh, that's why, you know, if you're going to get a, rid of a guy like uh, Randy Lee, um, there's got to be a lot of evidence uh, that says, okay, we can't bring this guy back. It's it's just unfortunate that this uh, had to come to light because I, uh, you know, working uh, in this organization for 20 years, 20 plus years, um, I expected better. If this is true, I expect it better from Randy Lee. Yeah, it is an unfortunate news story, but it doesn't seem like it's getting a ton of press in the hockey world. I mean, probably because of the Stanley Cup Finals. Probably because the concussion thing happened the exact same way. And that too, yeah. But, um, yeah, it is crazy. Um, As I normally do whenever you uh, finish things up, I was trying to see if there's any hockey news stories that we missed. Um, It doesn't look like there is. Other than the Washington Capitals win their first ever home Stanley Cup final game in franchise history. Um, yeah, that's right, yes. Because uh, they were... Because uh, they, they, they lost both of theirs to Detroit in 98. Yeah, they got right. swept in by Detroit in 98. That was the only time they were in the Stanley Cup finals. So, um, And yeah, uh, but that's the only thing I found that... Um, oh, and then um, supposedly, this is all rumors, but... But it could, it could be true. Um, all the Coyotes are offering Oliver Ekman, Ekman Larson an eight-year contract with an annual average value of eight point two five million. So that uh, if that goes through, that could affect uh, what Dowdy and uh, Carlson will get that year. But um, and there's also talks that negotiations with Dowdy are going well in Los Angeles. Yep. So all of a sudden, it, all the attention shifts to Eric Carlson at both uh, the Swedish yeah. law firm and Drew Dowdy signed contract <laughs> extensions with their teams. And it's interesting with the Oliver Ekman Larson because in the middle of the season, everyone thought, oh, this team is terrible. They're not going anywhere. And then they have a great second half. And it's just like, oh, maybe this team has a future after all. Maybe they keep this guy. Right, yeah. Um, I, I, I think I said, mentioned this before, but I did say how Oliver Ekman Larson was, um, like, he was saying that he wanted to play for Sweden in the World Championships because 
he didn't think he thought that the Coyotes were going to be in the playoffs for years to come, and so he wanted to take his opportunity to play in Sweden um, this year when he might not get a chance um, in the coming years. So I found that an interesting quote. It's like it just shows that he believes in the team. Um, I have a feeling that he's going to stay in in Arizona. Um, it doesn't really make too much sense for him to be traded. Uh, per se. I, I think that would be good for the organization too, because yep. that would speak volumes. You know, if you're trying to build up a team, you know, you want guys that want to stay there, especially and, for a team like Arizona, the where the franchise yeah. right now. So, especially for a team like Arizona, where they have money troubles for the past couple yeah. of years. So, this can he's, only be he's good. He's there, Eric Carlson. He puts bums in the seats, right? Yeah, or maybe not enough, but yes, he does. Yeah, uh, he is. He does bring us some level of consistency um, to their to their organization. Um, all right, uh, that's it. I'm Brett Duboff. Enjoy the Stanley I Cup have, Finals. Um, no, we will uh, keep you updated though on uh, the Oliver Ekman-Larsen contract. Yeah, it's not official yet. Yeah, it's not official yet. Social media, social media. How can people Damn, follow us? I forgot about that. Uh, the uh, social media stuff. Uh, we have well, first we're on SoundCloud. If you if you can't tell. Um, secondly, uh, we're also on iTunes, I guess. Facebook is Lace Them Up. We, we don't really post that often on there. We mostly post on Twitter, which is Lace Up Podcast. Um, yep, yeah, uh, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 129 of the Lace yeah. Them Up Podcast. Maybe uh, the Stanley Cup Finals will be over by then, but we'll see. Um, I- I think we'll still be talking, but we'll uh, see. Enjoy the hockey, everyone, and it should be an interesting finish.